Welcome to another meeting of the Gigabased Gun Club where we're all about the base, no trouble. And uh, it's good to see so many of you here tonight. It's good to see uh, that the group is growing. Good to see some new faces out there and uh, some of our old timers. Leonard, hey, what's up, man? What's up, dude? What, what you been shooting lately? 7.62 millimeter full metal jacket. A word, man. I'm an AR-10 guy myself. Awesome. Uh, real cool. Hey, I see you brought it with you. Hold that thing up, man. Let me see it. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. I hear you, man. I, I get a little sentimental when I think about mine too, but listen, Leonard, you be careful with that thing. I know how you can get sometimes. Hey, Frank, what's up, man? Good to see you. Hey, I heard you had an incident. What happened? A few days ago, Three thugs try to mug me. No way, man. That's crazy. What'd you do? I started blasting. Bah, wow. bah. Well, I don't see so good, so I missed. Yeah, pretty typical. That's our Frank, man. We love you, man. I, you probably had more than one gun on you, too, right? I don't think one would have done it. I'm going to go out and buy some more. And I think you should, too. Yeah, I just might do that. I'm always thinking about personal protection. So, you know, I just might go if out. If you want to protect yourself, get a double-barrel shotgun. Oh, hey, what's up, Joe? I didn't expect to see you here tonight. Usually it's just Hunter, but glad to see you here. You know, I don't know if I really uh, want another shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Fine, fine. I'll buy a shotgun. Twist my arm, you know? <laughs> anyway, hey, you got any uh, tips for home defense uh, when I buy it? Put that double barrel shotgun and fire two blasts. Oh, nice. That's pretty based, Joe. I uh, love the warning shot. Should I, should I maybe yell something to them as well? We will hunt you down and make you pay. Oh, 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 yeah. I love that, Joe. That is giga base, man. You always have the best home defense advice for us. Tell us, man, what do you uh, think about the Second Amendment and what's it really for? You think you need to have weapons to take on the government. You need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. All right, Joe, that's that's um, that's too based. I think you need to sit down. Welcome back to Conspiracy Guide. My name is Sean, and I will be your locked and loaded conspiracy guide. And if I'm being honest, which I try to do here, I don't think they would let me into the Giga-based gun club. I think I'm moderately based on guns, and somehow I don't think they would let me in. I have been called a fed boy and a bootlicker in, in online gun forums because... Well, for the great crime of asking about gun laws and trying to understand them. I'm not one of these I'll never comply guys. My rationale is that if I'm in federal prison, the guns aren't going to do me any good anyway. So as much as I hate the gun laws, well, 
I should probably not try to break them. So in any case, they wouldn't let me into the Gigabase Gun Club if there was one, but I'm going to do my best to give you a based take on guns today. And I should say that if you don't know what based means, I think it started uh, by based in facts or something like that. But in any case, today it just refers to the kind of anti-establishment take or basically the opposite of what CNN says. So just imagine Brian Stelter, (laughs) formerly, formerly of CNN, I should say. Uh, Just imagine that eunuch formerly of CNN, and you have the exact opposite of based. He's the most unbased individual of all time. So I hope that gives you some some context for what based means. I have to say, before we get into the guns, I am once again very, very humbled by the podcast performance. The listens and downloads are amazing. And the last episode uh, broke all my records again. It's really growing really appreciate it. So please continue to share the podcast, rate the podcast, and um, even review it or hell, just keep listening. It's all good to me. Really appreciate it. Um, Also, the next episode is going to come out after I get back from Anarchapulco. So I don't know what the next episode is going to be yet. I haven't planned that one, but hopefully it's something I'll work on while I'm in Mexico. So Should be pretty interesting. And hopefully I come back with some good stories from that. And if you're going to Anarchapulco, hit me up. Let me know. Love to connect with you uh, while we're there. And again, on another side note, I just, I have to say, I have to say, have you seen the Project Veritas video with that, uh, that, that Pfizer executive it's it's amazing. So this Pfizer executive uh, gets caught by Project Veritas, basically uh, confirming my last episode about medicine. And he's just really admitting that what they're doing is a giant fraud and that COVID was just a uh, a huge scam and a, and a cash cow. He uses the word cash cow. He says that's what COVID was for them is a cash cow. It's almost like this uh, this dude was, his name's Jordan Walker, I think. It's almost like this guy uh, is a conspiracy guide listener and he was just doing us a solid. He was out there like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and confirm that everything that conspiracy guide said was totally true. Now, I didn't know that our um, that uh, racist, gay drug company executives were in our demographic, but hey, we are happy to have you. So <laughs> keep on listening. We'll all get based <laughs> together. <laughs> all right, so on to the guns. Why are we talking about guns on a conspiracy show? Well, because there is a conspiracy to disarm you. Make no mistake, as sure as the sun rises, tyrants hate guns and they hate them in your hands. (laughs) And we're chock full of tyrants lately. So there is definitely a conspiracy to remove your guns. Now, I have two hills that I say I'll die on, two issues that are the most important to me. And those are guns and vaccines. So more simply, medical freedom and personal protection freedom. Now, 
it's been kind of a rough road, but I grew up as an LA Kings fan, so I am used to going long stretches without any victories. And for a long time, that's the, the way it was with, with vaccines and guns. But times, they are a-changing, and we are winning on both fronts now. In a big way, we really are. It may not seem like it if you've got your nose in the mainstream media all the time, but we really, really are winning. And you can tell because the tyrants are getting sloppy. They are making kind of rash and desperate moves. It's like the last few desperate haymakers from a boxer who's losing Just a couple more of our well-placed punches, metaphorically speaking, of course, um, and they're going to be down for the count. So do not despair because we're bringing everyone over to the base side with us. At least that's the plan. We are going to get into vaccines. Trust me, got a lot of that. It uh, It is always on my mind. I have very strong opinions about vaccines, but not today. Today, we're going to talk about the guns, and I'm going to start with my philosophy on guns, and then I'm going to get into some statistics, and then I'm going to wrap it up with some of the current events, which is really why this topic was on my mind and why we're doing this episode this week. Now, because I treat this podcast like a psychiatrist couch, (laughs) we're going to go way back, and I'm going to tell you about some experiences I had as a kid that probably led to my philosophy on personal protection and gun ownership. So I grew up in a house that was probably as neutral as you could imagine on guns. I don't think we had any in our home. In fact, I know we didn't have any in our home. Uh, My dad wasn't a hunter or anything like that. When I was a young kid, we lived in a pretty safe suburban neighborhood and didn't really think about guns all that much other than when... Um, On holidays, the Mexicans shoot them in the air because that is a Southern California tradition, or at least it used to be when you could own guns in California. I don't know if it still is, but uh, that was the only time I thought about guns. So there was a couple of moments that really shaped how I feel about them or or protection. And um, one of these was I was at a fueling station with my dad at night. And this isn't like your typical gas station you think of these days. Um, My dad operated heavy equipment. And so uh, he was refueling one of these. um, And this is like a commercial diesel place um, in a commercial part of town. It, It was poorly lit. There's no attendance or anything like that. And this is before bank cards. I'm dating myself, but y'all know how old I am anyway. Uh, this was before bank cards. So you actually keyed your, uh, code into this keypad and then they'd mail you a bill or whatever. It was way back. So anyway, I was a little kid at this dark gas station with my dad and this belligerent, like drunk or on drugs, dude, bam, he comes out of nowhere. And all of a sudden he's like up in our grill yelling at us. And he's like trying to hit my dad and trying to grab him. My dad's kind of like juking him out and stuff. My dad wasn't a tough guy or anything. So, uh, didn't, didn't fight him, but he kind of had to like negotiate his way out of this thing and get me in the truck and get himself in the truck. And we got the hell out of there. So in the end, it wasn't, um, Uh, we didn't get attacked badly or anything like that. But I do remember that it was the first time I felt like, wow, there's just crazy people like out there in the wild, out there in the world. And bam, like all of a sudden 
uh, you might have to defend yourself against them. And so it may be be worse uh, um, in my mind because I was a little kid, but it certainly got me thinking about about a situation like that. In fact, I can remember um, buying one of these like kid novels, a book called The Best Defense, because I was clearly thinking about defending myself. So uh, there was another moment that really uh, defined my, I guess, views on personal protection. And that was in the aftermath of the Rodney King beating. Now, if you don't know, uh, four LAPD cops beat the shit out of this guy, Rodney King, and it got caught on camera. Nowadays, everything's caught on camera. But at this time, it was kind of rare that something like this would get caught on camera. So these cops probably had no idea there was any cameras around, or I'm sure they didn't, or else they they wouldn't have been beating the bricks off this dude. But um, these guys were like playing baseball with Rodney King's head. And it's a really brutal video to watch. And uh, it's pretty awful. I don't know what he did. I guess he was running from the cops. Maybe he tried to attack them, but at a certain point, you know, the guy's down on the ground and there's still just teeing off on his head. Um, Rodney King was a black guy. The cops were all white guys. It was a horrible situation. And then months later, those four cops were acquitted of their charges, even though they seemed at least guilty of something. Um, for sure guilty is something you can't be beating people like that um, when they're defenseless. Anyway, LA just completely erupted into riots and riots were all that anyone was talking about at that time. I was only 10 years old. These things happened in uh, 92, but somehow I saw some of that footage and it's probably because it was like, it was everything at the time. And for all the hand wringing and whining and clutching of pearls about these BLM riots we had, you know, Chaz Chop and whatever was going on there, these riots were not that. These riots were really, really violent. They weren't a couple of, you know, trust fund trannies with George Soros bricks. Uh, no, these these were like, this was gangster stuff. And there was this this guy, this this truck driver, his name was Reginald Denny. And he was driving his 18-wheeler down the street, just the wrong street at the wrong time. And the dude stops his truck and he gets yanked out of it and beaten within an inch of his life right there on live TV. It was a horrible, brutal beating. And at some point while he's laying on the ground, probably unconscious, somebody smashes a cinder block over his head. It's really like savage and horrific. And I saw that at 10 years old and I probably shouldn't have, but I did. And you know, if you haven't seen these videos from the Rodney King or, or the LA riots at that time, it, it might be good to look at them. They, they are pretty, um, uh, uh, horrific and kind of hard to watch, but it certainly does put it into perspective. Anyway, when I saw that, it just kind of furthered my, my, my resolve as a, uh, as a young person that, that my personal security was probably something that we should, uh, think about. So when I moved out eventually, when I uh, got older and, and moved out, cause I didn't move out when I was 10, <laughs> no, I, I think I moved out when I was 19 or something. So at that time, when I moved out, I bought a gun and I didn't have like strong political reasons to do it or anything. I wasn't on the Republican team and thought I needed to just have guns. I just thought it's a no brainer. I figured if you have a home, you might want to have a gun inside of it. 
to protect yourself. And again, not because of any, any kind of, uh, oh, I don't know, um, deeply ingrained ideology or anything other than the ones that I had formed myself. So I, I got it and I really enjoyed shooting it. I learned how to use it proficiently. I, I discovered that I liked shooting guns and that was really kind of the, the end of that. Now, fast forward a little bit. And as y'all know, if you've been listening to this show, uh, got into some, uh, some, some drugs and some trouble that way. And fortunately I had the, uh, the, the good foresight to get rid of these guns. And I, I sold them legally, <laughs> legally to like gun stores, got rid of them. Uh, for one, I wanted the money and for two, uh, didn't want to be like running around with guns and, you know, having them around with sketchy people over and stuff. So thank God for that. Um, never got into any, uh, sketchy gun situations in that way. So, um, now today I live in a very, very safe, very nice community, but I don't live in a fairy tale land. And so I know that your self-protection, your self-defense is in your hands. The police are minutes or tens of minutes away when you can have an incident seconds long that could take your life. So I am a gun owner now again. And I think that, you know, I think back on these stories and if Reginald Denny would have been carrying a gun that day, maybe he would have been able to escape without getting his brains splattered all over an LA intersection. But fortunately, um, I should say Reginald Denny did live Um, he had some pretty bad brain damage. Didn't hear from him much after, uh, the event. And, um, uh, Rodney King, uh, also, I mean, Rodney King obviously lived through the beating, but I think he died a couple of years back. So anyway, up until let's say, Ooh, 2013 or so, I just thought of guns. Like I said, as, as kind of a no brainer, just, just, uh, who wouldn't have one, you know? And then I read this book called Control by Glenn Beck. And I don't know where I got the book or how I heard about it or anything like that. In 2013, I, I wasn't super into this kind of stuff, but I got, I, I got it and I read it. And it made me realize that there is a deliberate effort to disarm the American people. And I, I, I began to realize that just how manipulated the statistics on guns are. And because when you, when you really dig into them um, in an honest way, the truth is where there are more legal guns, there's less crime, but you're not going to hear that on, you know, CNN or MSNBC. Hell, you're not going to hear it on Fox. Um, You almost never hear about this stuff. So uh, fast forward. Well, we're already here we're in present day. And now I have, I've read a lot of books on the topic. I am, uh, very proficient with firearms and I'm really just a gun enthusiast at this point. I know quite a lot about them. And on a scale of one to like, uh, Larry Potterfield, I am probably like a seven, I would say. And if you don't know who Larry Potterfield is, he's like, he is like my Bob Ross. He's like the Bob Ross of guns. If you want to learn anything about just a super cool and uh, cool as a cucumber dude, if 
you want to learn about guns, learn about him from Larry Potterfield. Look him up on YouTube. Man, what a gem that guy is. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So, uh, I, I, all right, we have a we have quite a few actually. Uh, thankfully, and and quite humbling to me, we have quite a few listeners outside of the U.S. So, I'm sorry to say for you guys. You're probably not getting your guns back anytime soon. I know there's a couple of exceptions, but by and large, the U.S. is kind of the last one with with um, any any gun rights left. We have our Second Amendment, which is our right to bear arms, and we have some tiny shred of that left. Now, our Second Amendment, um, it's it's our it's it's our right to bear arms, not for um, not for hunting, not for target shooting. It's, it's there to represent an evenly distributed deterrent against really anyone who would, foreign and domestic. And interestingly, it is also one of our amendments that says, shall not be infringed. And yet, every politician essentially here in America makes it their full-time job to infringe the hell out of it. Now there is a saying that I like and it go, uh, I actually don't know who said it, but the quote is God created man. Sam Colt made them equal. And that's true because guns are a great equalizer. And now if our second amendment is there to protect us from, from tyranny, well, what is tyranny? Tyranny is an imbalance of power. So our founders had the foresight to know that mankind has a tendency to organize itself into hierarchical structures. And uh, once a critical mass of power is achieved on one side, you get kind of greed and unlimited control. And on the other side, you get inhumanity and death. This is a story as old as time, hate to say, but hey, that is the reality of the situation. And our founding fathers knew that for all their faults, he certainly got this one right. But so the way I see guns, like I said, it's kind of an evenly distributed defense. And I view it kind of like the Bitcoin of freedom. Bitcoin works because the transactional data or the, the, the ledger is distributed amongst the user's computer. So uh, there's this widely distributed Uh, ledger of information. And because it's just kind of everywhere at once, it makes it very, very difficult, basically impossible to corrupt. So that's how guns in the hands of the public work. It's kind of like a, um, a, a widely distributed and hidden deterrent. We have almost a half a billion guns in America, or at least that's the estimate. So they don't really know. And that's all that evenly distributed freedom. And maybe you think I'm being hyperbolic talking about um, ownership of guns as a protection against a tyrannical government. Excuse me. So yeah, maybe you think I'm being hyperbolic, but I'll bet that around the turn of the last century, all those Armenians who were murdered would agree with me. And I'll bet you the German Jews in the 30s would agree with me. And I'll bet you that all those Soviet-era Kulak farmers would agree with me. And I'll bet that the 
2 million Cambodians who were slaughtered by their government less than 50 years ago would agree with me. In fact, yeah, uh, less, yeah, less than 50 years ago, essentially, I mean, I was almost alive for that one. That's how recently some of these have happened. The, the Cambodian, 2 million, two, some estimates over 2 million were killed by their own government. I'm sure all those groups would agree with me because statistically the number one threat to humanity is death by government. It's a thing. It's got its own name. It's called democide and 170 million innocent people have been killed by their own government in the 20th century alone. There is no shortage of citizens being disarmed and then the wake of death and atrocity that follows right after that. So who knows though, right? I mean, maybe all those guns are pointless. Maybe it isn't, as I'm saying. Maybe, like Joe Biden says, you need an F-15 if you're going to fight against the government. But, again, I'll bet you there's a group that would disagree with that and agree with me. And those are <laughs> the goat herders in Afghanistan with AK-47. Because a bunch of goat herders in Afghanistan with AKs, well, they seem to do just fine against the American government, did they? But I do understand, sounds a little crazy to talk about a hot war between a tyrannical government and the populace. Does seem a little insane to talk about. And it's hard to imagine at this point because we all live relatively comfortable lives. And, well, most of us. I don't know where you're listening from, but definitely those of us in America, aside from a few small places here. But, um, it, it is. It's difficult to imagine it getting to that point, and I pray to God that it never does. But as as uh, Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia would say, it's the implication. <laughs> That's right. It's the implication, the the deterrent, the distributed deterrent. That's what guns in the hands of the citizenry does. But uh, the the effectiveness of guns, it's not... I mean, I'm not saying anything that isn't obvious that that the governments aren't aware of. And uh, they're gaslighting us to say otherwise, because, of course, just think about, of course, a bunch of hillbillies that are armed to the teeth represent an, an, uh, uh, an issue, uh, represent a threat to an oppressive government. That's just obvious, no matter how you look at it. So. Uh, this is why the ruling regime hates guns. They'll do anything to get them out of our hands. And um, at the very least, they'll uh, make sure that you're you're on a list. So so they know where to send the jackboots eventually. And, and that's what a lot of this is. We're going to talk about some of the laws. Um, but what it definitely isn't is it's not about your safety. It's definitely not about your safety because the uh, the, the people who who wants you to to give up your guns for safety because they're so concerned about your safety well these are also the people that were perfectly fine with getting you fired from your job uh if you wouldn't let them shoot you up with some experimental poison you know uh fire you from your job the way you feed your family so don't uh don't give me any of this safety stuff i don't believe you I don't think it's about my safety. <laughs> so what's the real reason? Why why does it happen? What is what is with the relentless march 
uh, to take away our our guns. Well, it's control. It's obviously control. It's obviously power. Like I said, a bunch of people with guns. Uh, yeah, it represents a threat to uh, to a government that would become oppressive and tyrannical. Now, the great Michael Malice, I love Michael Malice, he says uh, it perfectly. He says, they want you dead, but they'll settle for your submission. Isn't that great? <laughs> Bit hyperbolic, but also true. So I love that. They want you dead, but they'll settle for your submission. So let's talk about uh, some of these evil gun statistics that you're always hearing about. Let's dig into them a little bit. I'm already writing an episode on statistics generally, and I, I think that's important to understand the the way that statistics are used these days because the modern form of statistics is not really a, uh, a, a way to communicate data. And most statistics are just cleverly messaged numbers that are sort of filtered through the uh, Project Mockingbird prostitutes. So, um, so it's like, uh, it's like, it's like propatistics. That's what they are. They're propaganda, propaganda statistics. You know, M Monica Perez, if you know who Monica Perez is, she's always making up her own words and I may have just done it there. Um, propatistics. That's what they are. And I love Monica Perez. I'm a huge fan of hers. I really uh, am, am inspired by the way she does her podcast and the way she delivers information. So shout out to Monica Perez. Look her up and um, she's great. Give her a listen. And like I said, her delivery on this stuff is, is second to none. She's got two podcasts. Uh, one of them is called Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And the other one is the... Um, <clears throat> The, uh, the propaganda report. Anyway, good stuff. Uh, let's get back to the statistics on guns. The news would have you believe that there are just people everywhere shooting at each other. That's if you, if you listen to the news, there's just people everywhere shooting at each other. The CDC, uh, says we have an epidemic of gun violence. Do we mm, No, not really. Um, just like, the uh, the the last episode, um, with with the fact that the U.S. has this specific situation where we're able to uh, advertise drugs directly to the public. Well, in this episode, we have another unique situation to talk about here in America, and you will notice this uh, this situation, this tactic. Every time you hear the news mention gun deaths. That's right. They always say gun deaths, not gun homicide, not gun murder. They always say gun deaths because here in the U.S., we include suicide in our gun death numbers, which I guess isn't exactly a lie, but it's more a matter of semantics, which most don't even realize. So it's pretty dishonest if you ask me. So when you hear these uh, gun death numbers of 30 some thousand that is 60% suicides by gun. And so suicide is tragic. My heart goes out to those of you who have experienced it with your friends and, and loved ones. It's awful, but it's not a gun issue. And if somebody is going to do that, they're going to find a way to do it. Hell, Hey, you can just go to Canada 
<laughs> the government will help you do it. <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't laugh. It's pretty tragic. But yes, the government of Canada will help you kill yourself. You don't even need a gun. And since they took them all in Canada, or at least they're trying to, I guess they're trying to close <laughs> Close that <laughs> loophole. <laughs> Trying to make sure even though you don't have a gun, you can still kill yourself. Oh, it's pretty dark. Anyway, 60% of gun deaths are suicide, as they're reported here in America. So I'm going to use a round figure as I report these to you. Most of the gun death figures here in America yearly is in the 30,000 range. It goes, you know, kind of up and down from there. But most of the time it's within 30, it's about, um, 30,000. So I'm going to use 30,000 as I go through this so I can kind of do the math as we go. So 60% of 30,000 is 18,000. And so when we remove those, we're left with 12,000 non-suicide gun deaths. All right. You with me there. Now, uh, there's a difference between homicide and murder. Homicide is just a person killing a person for any reason, justifiable or not. Murder is an unjustifiable killing. So many times it's hard to separate these. The data makes it very difficult because, um, let me, uh, for instance, as if there's a justified killing, generally gets entered into the tracking system as, uh, as any other killing would. And then once it is adjudicated later on, it never gets updated in the system and blah, blah, blah. But the best we can tell, uh, like according to CDC and FBI stats, is that the justifiable homicides make up about 25% of this figure. So now we're down to 9,000 murders. And these murders aren't just kind of evenly distributed throughout the gun owning population or anything like that. Despite what they would tell you, that's not the case. So 80% of these 9,000 murders that we have now are gang related. So gang related uh, uh, murders, like that's, that's a whopping figure, right? there, 80%. So now we're down to 1,800. So from 30,000 that you'll hear on the news down to 1,800 non-gang-related murders each year with a gun. And um, so I'm not saying that uh, gang-related murder isn't tragic or that we shouldn't be focusing on it and trying to fix it. But the thing about gang members is they don't really care about gun laws. And most of the time you hear these statistics rolled out is because they're trying to give us new gun laws. Essentially, that's that's when they start talking about these things. So these um, these high statistics that they use whenever they roll out this 30,000 figure, they're trying to show why. I guess they're trying to make the argument that legal gun owners shouldn't be able to have guns or whatever. And so, you know, it's all bullshit now. Uh, it's just propaganda and it's a shameless gun grab by those who wish to remove our ability to protect ourselves and our families. So 1800 non gang related gun murders or thereabout. If you start with 30,000, obviously that figure changes cause it was all percentages. But if you start with the round 30,000 figure, that's about where it gets you. And that's a pretty low number. It's actually not that bad. You're, you're way all right so you're way more likely to get murdered in a hospital with 
fake COVID protocols are, are being put on remdesivir, that's for sure. Hell, if you remember the last episode, there are 106,000 deaths per year from correctly prescribed medicine. So so you're, uh, you're 58 times more likely to be killed by your doctor with his prescription pad than you are to be killed with a gun, assuming that you're you're not a gang member. So, so, uh, so don't be a gang member <laughs> and, and don't be a big pharma slave. Don't, don't do either, either of those things. Um, we should also point out that murder is not a nationwide problem. Excuse me. Um, yeah, so na- uh, murder is not a nationwide problem. Most of the U S is really, really safe with almost no murder. Um, half of all the murders in this whole country, half of them happen in a 2% of counties. So out of 3,140 counties in the U S just 60 of those counties make up half of the murders. That's 2%. So at this point, I think we can see that gun murder is a highly concentrated issue and it's mostly because of gang violence in these very concentrated areas. And unfortunately there are a bunch of other gun statistics that really come down to gang related issues. And the reason we don't hear much about this is because they're obviously trying to astroturf an anti-gun movement. So, You'll often hear this, like uh, some stat will say, like X number of kids are killed each year with a gun. Ugh, I hate talking about this stuff. It's um, it's pretty depressing. But uh, you always see the stuff rolled out after one of these tragic events. They'll say, you know, X number of kids every year are 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 killed by guns. And and the sad reality is, there are um, uh, probably as many as they're saying. Uh, couple hundred or so kids killed every year uh, with guns. But most of that statistic, unfortunately, is 15, 16, 17 year old kids who are in gangs. And it's really sad to imagine that kids that young get caught up in in gang violence and and, uh, gang culture. But that is where most of those statistics come from. And so what you'll see a lot of times is some uh, B-roll from like one of these horrific mass school shootings or something like that. And then they'll give you that, um, that statistic or, or another one. Um, they'll say, uh, there are X number, you know, 200 or 700 or whatever. They got all kinds of different numbers. I couldn't find anything consistent on this one, but they'll say, uh, there were so many mass shootings this year. Uh, like I said, it's somewhere in the two to 700 range from what I could find. But that statistic comes from the FBI definition for a mass shooting. Now that def- definition is four people murdered with a gun during a single incident. And that statistic can also include the shooter or shooters in that death figure. So most of, of, of these, most of these mass shootings that get cited, these are gang warfare and drive-by shootings. And they include those in the statistic to make you think that there are, um, you know, people just going crazy, 
on, um, you know, school shootings and these other mass public shootings. But that isn't really the case. And it's the way the data is organized. And again, I'm doing an episode on statistics, working on that. So we're going to we're going to dig into how these um, propatistics, as as I named them. So. So what we can see by digging into these statistics so far is the um, the real gun problem is a gang problem and um, and it's a gang problem and a drug problem and a socioeconomic problem because that's that's what what a gang problem is, unfortunately. And all of these gang riddled cities, uh, they already have the the strictest gun laws anyway. So obviously all of these these laws that we're we're getting are, are not working. Now, when it does come to the relatively rare instances of these um, tragic and awful school shootings or these mass public shootings, it doesn't take 30 seconds for the TV dummies to start talking about, oh, what gun was it? And ooh, was it an AR-15? I mean, they're so excited, they nearly pissed themselves trying to figure out what kind of gun this the shooter used. Ooh, ooh, is it one of the ones we hate? Oh, we can't, oh, we can't wait to demonize it. I mean, they're just salivating. It's rather disgusting. Uh it, it's it's usually it's like a matter of hours before, you know, one of these one of these uh, public serpents is out, you know, doing some press conference after one of these tragedies talking about how everyone needs to, to give up their guns, but it's not all about the guns. And what they never seem to mention is that basically in every one of these cases, the suspect is known to the FBI. Somehow the fed boys in every one of these cases knew the shooter, but you know, oddly enough, they never managed to stop it. They always know about him but they never managed to stop it. So maybe they just had their hands full over there at the Bubba Smollett NASCAR garage. I don't know what it is, but for some reason they always know about them, never did anything about it. And I think it's because it's a, a, a very difficult problem to do anything about because there's another factor. All of these shooters seem to be on drugs and, and they all seem to be on big pharma drugs. They all seem to be on SSRI drugs. Now it's hard to find exact statistics on this one because people don't seem to be willing to study it. And two, because of HIPAA laws, generally it's kind of hard to find this stuff out. But one thing you're never going to hear is you're never going to hear the news talk about it. And that's because that's because pharma advertising makes up uh, about 70% of their advertising revenue. So you're not going to hear any of the news talk about how all of these shooters just seem to be on these drugs. You're never going to hear the talking dildos on the news who go on and on about guns mention that all these shooters seem to be on a drug with a side effect warning that includes suicidal ideation. And this this behavior of, of murder suicides was predicted way back when these drugs started to hit the market. Now there's uh, a really interesting book um, I, that, that I like uh, called Prozac uh, Panacea or Pandora. It's from the early nineties. And in this book, it actually predicts a bunch of this behavior. And yet 
yet nobody seems to be talking about this. And that's just because of the control that the pharma companies have over our media. And here we are just whistling past the graves, nothing to see here. And because it's obvious, right? It wasn't the gun that made these people suicidal psychopaths. Guns are a piece of equipment. It's a tool, albeit a dangerous tool, but it's just that. It's an inanimate object, a chunk of metal and polymer. But big pharma depression drugs, on the other hand, are psychoactive chemicals that influence your thoughts and emotions, some of which can include suicide thoughts, suicidal ideations, and that's a warning from the company that makes it. Since 2004, the FDA has had a black box warning on all SSRIs because they cause suicidal thoughts. So, hmm, let's think. Which one seems more likely reason a person would go on a suicidal killing spree? If It's fully insane, right? I feel like I'm the one taking crazy pills having to explain this. And yet, you'll nary hear a word about it on the news. The ones who push all this other gun control stuff. So it would seem that we have a drug gang problem. The drug gangs of the street dealers doing the drive-by shootings and the drug gangs with the corporate jets and their DC lobbyists. One thing is for sure, we don't have a problem with legal responsible gun ownership. It's just not a thing. Legal gun owners aren't out there killing people in droves and especially concealed carry permit holders. In fact, concealed carry permit holders are just about the safest and most law-abiding group you can ask for. Fun fact, they're convicted of gun violations at a lower rate than police officers are. So it's really hard to find a more law-abiding demographic than concealed carry permit holders. Actually, I heard this uh, this kind of hilarious statistic, and I couldn't substantiate it, but I will repeat it here. But I'm going to tell you I couldn't substantiate it. I heard somebody say that CCW holders are actually ranked lower than college-educated Asians where, where violent crime is concerned. So I don't know if it's true. Again, I heard it, but uh, I think that one's pretty funny. Now, speaking of carrying guns... Um, The U.S. now has 25 states with permitless carry. It's called constitutional carry. So those are great numbers. It's awesome. I'm glad to hear it. And in uh, in 1980, we only had one. We only had one permitless carry state, and it was Vermont. So shout out to the smelly hippies in Vermont. I didn't expect to see that, but hey, great. Congratulations, Vermont. That's awesome. But... We're at we're at 25 now, and it seems to be growing. Uh, I think Florida just introduced it. Florida man loves guns, but there you go. We had one in 1980. We're up to 25 right now. More in the future for permitless carry. See what I mean? We are winning, people. Let's just keep it going because the truth of it is, more guns in the hands of responsible gun owners is the only way to stop some of these horrific crimes and protect yourself. So there is a, uh, a massive amount of defensive uses of a gun each year. These stats vary uh, 
uh, wildly depending on where you're getting them. But I found anywhere between 750,000 and three and a half million times per year, somebody uses a gun to protect themselves against violence. And the one that I usually hear the most is in the 2 million range. But again, because I'm trying to trying to be honest here, I found 750,000 to three and a half million when I was researching this. And, um, 2 million is what you see the most. So it doesn't really matter though, because even 750,000, um, prevented attacks because of a gun, that seems pretty good to me. And these things are difficult to track because a lot of times the only, the only thing that needs to happen, uh, for, for, uh, a violent, uh, or, or potentially violent situation to be de-escalated is somebody showing a gun or somebody letting somebody else know uh, that they have a gun or brandishing a gun. So it's particularly hard to track those kind of incidents. But in any case, that's a heck of a lot of, of people who are able to prevent a, a violent attack. Now, I think these cases are also particularly important to consider for women. Remember what I said about uh, Sam Colt, um, what is it? Sam Colt, uh, God created man. Sam Colt made them equal. I think it's particularly, uh, important to consider this, uh, where women and violent attacks are concerned. So no matter how many, uh, Hollywood movies you've seen that show some hundred pound girl, uh, in a bar fight with 10 guys and she kicks all their asses. Well, that isn't reality. The, the reality of the situation is that even some fat lop of a dude can, pretty easily overpower most women. And it really just comes down to physics, uh, muscle mass, and, uh, you know, just, just being able to overpower by weight alone. But a gun in the hands of a woman is truly a great equalizer. It doesn't matter how big the guy is. Um, if, if she has a gun and she knows how to use it, she's certainly able to defend herself against some kind of an attack like that. So I think it's really important to look at those cases where there is a, a big imbalance, imbalance of power and where having a gun makes all the difference. And there's quite a few of those every year. Now, where it comes to these horrific mass public shootings, the, there is a book called, uh, it's called gun control myths by John Lott jr. And he gives 26 detailed accounts of where permit holders or just people who happen to have a gun, um, likely stopped a mass public shooting. And there's 26 of them in the, uh, span of four years in this book. And he has an entire criteria for, why he chose these events and why they would likely have been a mass public shooting. But there's 26 instances in just four years where a concealed carry permit holder or a good Samaritan with a gun was able to prevent one of these tragedies. So again, again, it's the good guys with the guns who prevent these things from happening. And it's kind of the only way to do it. When there are this many guns in a country, you can't take them all away. They're here. So the only way to prevent these tragedies is by good people having them um, and, 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 and using them uh, defensively. So gun-free zones, uh, let's talk about these gun-free zones. 
It's about the dumbest thing I could ever think of. Because speaking of good guys with guns, why in the world would we advertise on our schools that there aren't any good guys with guns in there to take action against a would-be shooter? I, I can't fathom how stupid this is. Even if there isn't anyone in there with a gun, why would we say that? Should should we post signs on flights that don't have air marshals and just say, hey, you know what? This There's no air marshal on this one, so you uh, would be terrorist. This, this is a great target right here. Don't worry. Uh, you're cool on this one. No one's got a gun here. Um, and if you don't believe me, I would just encourage you uh, to put a sign on your house that says, this house is a gun-free house. I dare you, really. If you think that I'm uh, not being sincere about this, put that sign on your house. Put a sign that says, this is a gun-free house. Because you wouldn't do that. Of course you wouldn't do that. It's ridiculous. There was this uh, study that was done um, with with burglars from the U.S. and the U.K. And what they found was that uh, burglars in the U.S. took twice as long to case the homes of their uh, potential burglaries. And why were they doing that? Why were they taking twice as long as opposed to their British counterparts? They were looking for guns. They wanted to make sure that if they broke into a house, there wasn't anyone there that was going to shoot them. It's obvious. So again, should we be doing this to our kids? Should we be putting signs and advertising the fact that there's nobody in there with a gun? No. What we should do is we should have plain closed school marshals. Hell, we should have two. We pay enough taxes for it. Why not? And you know, we should have a big ass sign outside that says fuck around and find out. That's what we need. No more of this gun free zone nonsense. I mean, excuse me, these school shooter psychopaths, they should doubt, they should doubt, they should be fearful that they wouldn't even get a single shot off because some retired brass balls, special forces is going to put one in their dome before they're able to do it. That's what I think you, you, you've, you've got to nip these things in the bud. That's what I think we should be doing. We aren't getting rid of the guns. Like I said, there's half a billion here. And, uh, and, and, and a wide open Southern border. And there's a bunch down there too. So we can do better for our kids. We can do better to protect our kids in these relatively rare situations. And again, if you disagree with me, put that sign on your house until then pipe down, (laughs) let the adults talk. (laughs) Um, and I can't do this, this topic justice in the short amount of time that I have, but The main takeaway here should be the statistics about guns are essentially lies that are meant to disarm you. And I would encourage you to to look into themselves and to think about them in a way that's not emotional because guns should be a fundamental human right for our self-protection. So as long as there's at least one more gun out there in the world other than the one you have, shouldn't it be your right? to equal protection? Shouldn't you have the same right to protect yourself as somebody else does to hurt you? So really, it it sounds like a basic human right to me. And, And also, 
as we as we laid out toward the beginning, guns are a uh, a necessary way to protect against a tyrannical government. If you don't believe me, again, there's a hundred and seventy million people who were who were killed by their government, and uh, they would agree with me. And that was just in the last century alone. Now, real quick, I would also be uh, remiss for not mentioning the big news in guns right now. So let's do that real quick. I know this is going a little bit long, but Essentially, what just happened, if you've been uh, paying attention at all, is the the ATF, uh, the the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms, uh, you know, very serious. Uh, they had a ruling. They announced a couple of weeks ago that um, they are going to be banning what's called a an arm a stabilizing arm brace. Or not actually banning them, but rather they're changing the classification of these things. The, the problem with this ruling is the same problem that plagues us constantly with a bunch of unelected agencies creating law out of executive fiat. And what they uh, said recently is that they, they plan to essentially make felons out of a bunch of law-abiding citizens who bought these arm braces for a gun that the ATF had already confirmed was legal. They had done it several times. So some history uh, real quick, there's a thing called the NFA, the National Firearms Act, and it became federal law in 1934. During that time, we had a depression, we had uh, you know gangsters, we had FDR, and yet I repeat myself. Anyway, they took it upon themselves to ban a bunch of firearm stuff, and uh, they didn't do it in the fair way. They they did it the Obamacare way. So. They said, well, you can have these things uh, like the short barrel shotguns and the short barrel rifles, whatever, uh, but you have to pay a tax. And that uh, that tax is, uh, was and is 200 bucks. So at the time, that tax was uh, that $200 was like $5,000. And so they just made it prohibitively expensive. And so, oh, you know, it's a tax. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's not taking your Second Amendment away because it's a tax. So. So they they set a precedent back then for Second Amendment infringement scumbaggery. And since then, it's just been stupid law after stupid law until we find ourselves here in the present day uh, with the most labyrinthian and infringiest set of laws you could possibly imagine. So we we have a federal uh, gun laws and state gun laws and seldom do they ever make sense together. It's pretty ridiculous, but the recent ruling by the ATF is it's just more of the same. And there's probably 5 million people who, who bought a, a firearm with a pistol brace on it or, or bought one of these braces. And uh, I guess they're just going to become a felon. But, you know, of course, the generous ATF has uh, decreed from on high that there are some things you can do. That there are some actions you can take in order to not just be declared a felon by executive fiat. Well, you can destroy the firearm. OK, uh, you can give it to the to the ATF. <laughs> uh, nope. Uh, you can put a 16 inch barrel on your gun. Or you can register it under the uh, the NFA, and and they will generously waive that two hundred dollar fee. Uh, all of these options suck, and I hope they get struck down in court. 
But uh, one thing I guess we have to look forward to is the fact that that NFA tax stamp of $200 is going to get increasingly cheap as we head into the Zimbabwe-style inflation. So, and if you do get the tax stamp, well, that's just basically the roadmap for Klaus Schwab and and the, uh, the Blue Helmet UN boys to uh, to find you and load you onto the train cars. But uh, there's no hope for me. I'm in Connecticut, so <laughs> every one of the guns we have is already in some kind of registry. So, so anyway, the point is here, it's just a bunch of arbitrary and pointless laws stacked upon more arbitrary and pointless laws, and they make no difference to gun violence, and um, they're only concerned with, with disarming us. But uh, but hey, at least we have a bunch of otherwise unemployable uh, uh, automatons uh, who collected a, a paycheck in the process. Because think about it, essentially what the NFA did is it uh, just banned a bunch of short barrel things as if the length of the barrel makes any difference to its lethality. It definitely does not. So, so it's just precedent that's set forth for the long march through the disarmament. And you know what? I don't like either party. I don't like the Republicans or the Democrats, but I will say this. The Democrats definitely are committed to the long march to achieve their end. So they're the ones that are always on the opposite side of the gun grab. The Republicans will tell you they aren't, but they are. Also, I want to tell you just a quick story. I know we're going long here. Got to tell you a quick story uh, about a dirty little gun grab that almost happened to me. And um, just a very small example of how these tyrants have chubbies for getting our guns away from us. So as you know, as I've mentioned, I got in some trouble in my younger days. Well, I got a DUI and uh, it was just your garden variety DUI. Nothing crazy, a little misdemeanor. Had to pay a big old fine because it was California and the judge ordered me to two years of informal probation, which just basically means don't get in any trouble. Anyway, they make you sign all these papers to agree to their terms. So so I'm filling out mine and and there's all these boxes to check with with stuff like don't commit any crimes, don't drive under the influence and so on. But um, anyway, one of the checkboxes about halfway down says you must surrender your firearms and you may not own them during this time. So I got up and and I said, like, I don't agree with this. I'm not going to check this box. And you know what they told me? They said, oh, you don't have to check that one. And I was like, well, why is it there? They said, oh, most people don't notice it. That's why it's there, because most people don't notice it. You got to be kidding me. Oh, it's just more scumbaggery from the state of California. It's so blatantly obvious that the uh, that the tyrants just salivate over our disarmament. But I just thought that was funny. It's like, why'd you put it on the form if I don't actually need to check it? They didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't balk at it. They didn't care. They just said, "Yeah, don't check that one." Whatever. The uh, the bailiff made a joke to me. He's like, "Oh, I bet you all yours got lost in the uh, in the boat accident." Am I right? <laughs> like. Sure. <laughs> so anyway, just thought that was a funny story. Let's get into what can you do? What can you do about this issue? Get a gun, <laughs> get 20 of them, whatever. <laughs> I'm serious though. If you are uh, willing to learn how to use them, if you uh, 
really, truly believe uh, that more legal and responsible gun owners, particularly those that carry, make it safer for the community, please get a gun yourself. And I, I would encourage you to uh, to learn about them and to um, just just kind of get interested in them beforehand. Uh, wouldn't necessarily recommend you just run out and buy one, but I'll post some resources that you can look at to uh, to hopefully um, pique your interest a little more if you are. Whenever I see people uh, open carry, it makes me feel safe. Um, I am a person that that um, believes that the other person who is uh, making a statement that anyone who wishes to do harm to the community better think twice. Uh, before doing it because criminals they don't open carry most of them aren't even allowed to have guns so i like it when people have guns i like it when people carry guns if you're not interested in carrying a gun uh you might want to uh think about one for home defense but again uh learn how to use it you wouldn't be alone there's about 50 percent of american households that do have guns so again those are good numbers and um just don't be a sitting duck. Like I said, don't don't be a sitting duck in your own home. I have them in my home. I don't have a carry permit yet because Connecticut makes it just so damn difficult to do that. But, um, you know, unfortunately, we live just oh, miles away from a horrific home invasion tragedy that happened. And so, as I said, I live in a really nice place. But uh, there was this incident that happened in Connecticut and uh, do I dare even link to it? It's a horrific murder that happened just for no reason. Uh, just some like drifters who had left a halfway house or something decided to, to just home invade these people. And uh, I can only assume that they weren't armed or else it may not have gone down that way. Anyway, don't mean to put all that evil on you, but I would encourage anyone who's, list, uh, who's interested to learn about guns visit a shooting range, talk to your friends that have guns, take the NRA pistol course, you know, uh, that's, that's a good resource and, uh, take your self-defense and your protection into your own hands. You have agency. It's your God given right. And in some cases still it's your state given right. Although that's slipping away pretty quick, but it is your right to protect your own life as you see fit. Now, I also recommend if you can, uh, and you do care about this issue uh, that you can and donate to. Uh, there are certain agencies that do a good job of helping us protect these rights. So there's the Gun Owners of America or the GOA. And then there's my personal favorite, the Firearms Policy Coalition. Now, I did mention the NRA pistol course, but do not donate to the NRA. They have micro penis energy. They are terrible. Don't and they don't give a damn about your rights. Don't give them any money. The other two are great. Now, I donate because I, again, I'm not one of these, uh, these I'll never comply or these, um, you know, keyboard warriors. I follow the laws. And so the way that I have to fight is by giving to these organizations that fight this stuff in the court. Hey, if you're one of those I'll never comply guys, <laughs> good for you. You do you, boo-boo. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer, so so party on. All right, let's get to the books. Let's get to the books for this week. I have two books. The first one is the one that I just recently read because it's a relatively new book. And I mentioned it in the podcast. And it is uh, Gun Control Myths. 
by John Lott Jr., uh, PhD. So you know it's good. Uh, this guy is like straight out of academia. He's actually an economist, and he got fired for doing this kind of research because obviously his uh, statistics and his uh, conclusions uh, came to uh, very similar ones of others who have looked into them honestly, and that is that more guns, less crime. And that's actually the name of his first book. This guy is the greatest of all time, in my opinion, on gun statistics. This book in particular goes real hard into the data, and I really encourage it if you're interested in these topics. The other book is the one I mentioned in the podcast. It was the one that I read uh, back in, I don't know, 2013 or whenever it came out. It's the Glenn Beck book called Control. This book is very similar because the truth is all these statistics kind of pan out the same when you're being honest about them. But this book is written in a more narrative style. And if you're interested in this stuff and you want maybe a, a little bit easier book to read on the topic that's not so chock full of uh, graphs and stats and citations, you might enjoy this one. Now, the last thing is I found this interesting one hour documentary about the history of gun confiscation. It's pretty depressing and it's pretty scary, but I found it uh, very informative and I would say it's worth a watch because in case you think I was being hyperbolic about the threats of governments to their citizenry, please check out that video. It's not exactly what I would call, you know, casual watching, but uh, again, very informative and I'll post a link to it. So anyway, after all that really uh, difficult and heavy topic, I think I'll leave you with some smooth jazz number to uh, calm you down after all that. And until next time, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Uh-huh.